welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Cancer. I'll be joined by Angie O'Neill, a mother of three who has fought an incredible fight to beat breast cancer twice. Today we'll be talking about Angie's journey and how she chooses every day to live life to the fullest. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for coming. I'm so happy to have you as a guest. Today, um, we're going to be talking about your incredible journey and overcoming breast cancer, and not only once, but twice, (laughs) and this incredible life that you now live and all these amazing things you do. So I want to just start by asking you, what was your childhood like? What kind of things did you experience growing up? Wow. Um, my childhood. Let's try to make this brief. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, my childhood was, um, yeah, awesome, I guess. Um, a family of five. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, I, don't, I won't say, I guess not necessarily blended family, but we, um, well, yeah, we had a little bit of interesting story. Our birth mother, um, just, Kind of, I won't say she left, but she kind of went off to mm-hmm. just explore herself and just do some, just do some things that she felt in her heart. So we were, I guess, kind of left <laughs> with my dad, who's mm-hmm. an amazing. How old man. were you when that happened? Uh, small. Um, I might have been five or six. Wow. So it was four of us. My parents were young. Okay. They were teenagers. And where do you fall in the line of your siblings? Um, I'm right in the middle. So it was four of us at that time, but then we grew to five. So okay. yeah, I'm I'm right smacking them. So I'm a middle child. Middle child. <laughs> <laughs> middle child. And um so we, we had a stepmother, but we never really thought of her as a stepmother. We met her when I was probably like seven or eight. Okay. She was only twenty seven. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. So she was like a twenty seven year old woman and she yeah. came in and she took on these four amazing kids. Took on these four, yes. Wow. Kids with this man who <laughs> was like a man child, I guess, wow. when he had the kids. So She must have been in love. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then we had one more. My my younger sister's about ten years younger. Okay. Ten years younger. So yeah, we I mean we struggled. My parents were young. We were yeah, we were fortunate to have to have someone come into our life and mm. take care of us. We had a great grandmother who kind of kept us stable, but you know, we were young, so we probably struggled a little, but we were happy. Yeah. So we grew up happy and, um, you know, most of us at the age of 18 had to kind of get out, go to mm-hmm. college and, and make things happen. But we were, I will say we come from a family full of love. We had a lot of fun, uh, probably had a lot more freedom than a lot of other folks did mm-hmm. <laughs> growing up. We're all very close in age, the four of us. So we were literally like, Mm-hmm. right on top of each other does that make you close now as adults like because you're so you know mm-hmm. similar in age going through a lot of the same things yeah um we are still fairly close yeah as siblings we do a lot of family things my family lives here we grew, nice. we were born in dc but we grew up here um in atlanta so yeah we're all we're all very close we have a lot of fun we're all kind of free-spirited and um I mean, we're not perfect, but yeah. Amazing. It's so interesting to hear you talk about that family life because I'm mm-hmm. an only child. Wow. So I never had that, you know, mm-hmm. brother, sister, sibling thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often talk to people about that because I think it's more um, common to be 
um, one of multiple children versus being versus a single being, child. Yeah. Um, so there was, you know, pros and cons to it. I don't know if yeah. I had would have had the opportunities that I received if I'd mm-hmm. had brothers and sisters just because right, finances yeah. would have been spread more thin mum and dad's attention would have been spread mm-hmm. more thin um but then I did miss out on you know having someone to play with and mm-hmm. all of that kind of stuff oh yeah we had plenty of folks to play with right and, and fight with and be mad and, uh-huh. and have to, you know you had to share everything and it wasn't a, there wasn't a whole lot to go around mm-hmm. so it um made us feel fortunate in so many ways and made us all fairly humble mm-hmm. and we, we were just used to it being you know somewhat accommodating and you know of course we brothers and sisters you fight but one thing i don't think we ever fought over were things right you know mm-hmm. we just we learned how to share wow <laughs> and just put up you know just put up with different um mm-hmm. moods and mm-hmm. You have to do that. Whenever you live with another person Mm -hmm. um, or a tribe of people, it's always that Mm -hmm. concoction of personalities Mm -hmm. and different people's limits and boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, uh, I think when you've got siblings or you have not necessarily siblings, but you might live with grandparents, Mm -hmm. it makes you sort of sets you up for your life. And as you said, like Mm -hmm. makes you a good sharer and Mm -hmm. how to maybe be more empathetic. So I think it made me very tolerant. Mm -hmm. Mm. In so many ways. I can, patience, a lot of patience. Yeah, patience. I can actually endure a lot because. Mm. Yes, you can. Yes, I'm, you can. Yeah, I'm just accustomed to yeah. you know, having to tolerate yeah. things growing up. So, yeah. How much of your childhood and what you experienced do you think set you up for the adult you are now? Um, I'd say the huge majority of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I And the funny thing is I was probably the most independent of all my siblings. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it made me a very independent person, um, you know, kind of learning how to fend, my, fend for myself, mm-hmm. maybe even a little bit to a fault. <laughs> right. You know, not accustomed to asking for things, mm-hmm. you know, not expecting things all the time, mm-hmm. always feeling like I had to figure things out. So, yeah, yeah, I think quite a bit of that has set me up for the yeah. for the adult who, that I am today. And not to say that all the things I am are the best things but sure yeah it, it just who is who I am <laughs> yeah and you obviously became a mother yourself didn't mm-hmm. you yes I have three three girls wow and and how do they play a role in your life um well everything um yeah they're huge for me because I think they kind of got me um grounded because like I said I was a pretty independent person and you know just out even you know in college just always doing my own thing um and, you know, just always a little unsure. I wasn't always focused on what I wanted to do with my life and, you know, what path I wanted to take and, you know, just uncertain about my career. And so, yeah, when the girls came along, when I started having kids fairly young, it it kind of got me in check mm. and gave me, you know, gave me more purpose and, you know, things to focus on. And, you know, because now everything I had to do mattered so right. much more. And, right. Yeah. And, and, and because my mom left, it also made me... Um, want to do better, right? You know, is your mother in your life now? Do you guys have a relationship? Well, the saddest part is she passed away. Um, gosh, how long ago? Hmm, six or seven years ago. And so yeah. when she left, we did not, um, we did not keep in contact mm-hmm. consistently. You know, she would kind of come in and out, visit her, visited her once or twice because she moved, um, all the way to California. So. So we didn't have a huge relationship. So that mm-hmm. was the most unfortunate thing is that we never got a chance to to rebuild that relationship. Um, and me being an independent person, 
I was less likely to, you know, reach out for her sure. <laughs> as well. My siblings, I think they did a better job. Mm-hmm. But I was just kind of that person, well, if she calls me, I'll talk to her, you know. Right. But well, I will say... That makes a lot of sense. And I will say when uh, cancer first came about, that did, yeah, that did for a moment bring her back. And was that because you felt you wanted to reach out or she reached out? She actually reached out. And I can't remember everything that happened because um, that was quite a while ago. But I think it might have been one of my siblings. Mm. My, one of my siblings might have yeah. reached out to her. But I have to admit, I think it was hard for her because, mm. I mean, sure, she probably felt a lot of guilt for having left. And she always, anytime we talked to her, she always talked about how much she loved us and she knew that we were being taken good care of and all that. But mm. I think she was really scared when she found out about that because it was kind of like, oh, my God, I've never been there. And now my daughter's going through this and I can't be there and I don't mm-hmm. know what to say. And I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And so I think the conversation was more around actually making her feel better. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that, we, yeah. I've been in so many situations, obviously not like mm-hmm. what you've experienced, but mm-hmm. where, um, you know, somebody's done us wrong in a way mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we end up having to comfort mm-hmm. them. Right. And yeah. that that just goes to show how people are such on different journeys mm-hmm. and in different places. Right. And, and you've got to be, I, I use this phrase a lot, a very evolved person mm-hmm. um, and quite far into your journey of, of being a developed, right. empathetic person mm-hmm. to, to give grace to somebody that's really right. done you wrong. Yeah, you know, because exactly. being yeah. so little and your mum, mm-hmm. you know, making a choice not to be there, right. whatever that was that was going on, mm-hmm. you know, that's really impactful. So... When you're going through your own, Mm -hmm. you know, really intense journey of dealing with cancer Mm -hmm. and you've then got to, you know, comfort somebody else, you know. (laughs) That's true, because I do, I do recall, I don't have those feelings anymore. I know when it first happened, we were young and I think I was really sad. Mm. I think I was sad for a really long time, but then once I started to kind of forget or, or sort of get over it, my life was going fine, I realized that I didn't. It didn't matter as much to me anymore. So it wasn't like I was sad or yearned for her or anything like that. I just started to forget her. Mm. <laughs> so it was hard to still remember how much I may have loved her. Right. You know, so I, I really thought of her as like a distant relative. But, of course, any time she would appear in a phone call, or it was mostly phone calls, I I would start to feel bad. You know, feel bad because we didn't have a relationship and we didn't know each other. I didn't feel bad because I was sad anymore. Mm-hmm. I just felt bad because I didn't really know my mother. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's kind of like so that around the cancer diagnosis, I was still feeling. Yeah, I was still kind of feeling bad, and I think I had forgiven her, mm-hmm. but I just saw her as somebody else entirely. Right. So yeah, so I think it was easier to be more empathetic than anything else because. Mm-hmm. Uh, what year did that cancer diagnosis come for you first time? Uh, 2006. 2006. And what was that like being told that you had cancer? Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, you can imagine it's probably one of the worst things that you <laughs> could ever hear. Um, yeah, it was it was pretty bad. Because, I, I mean, I may, I may be somewhat of a pessimist at times, but I think in general I have, uh, I have a lot of optimism about life mm-hmm. and yeah, being kind of free-spirited and wanting to be happy and, you know, things like that. So um, when I first was going through the idea that I may have cancer, 
I remember just being very optimistic about it. Like, oh, that's probably not what it is. You know, everything is fine. I'm, you know, I kept telling myself, Angie, you're health, you're healthy, you're happy. You know, everything's going to be okay. That's not what it is. And so, I think that um, that made it tough because I had convinced myself that that's not what the doctor's going to tell you. Mm. They're going to just say, you know, everything's okay. It's just the cyst, or it's just this or that, and we're going to, you know, remove it, and everything's going to be okay. So yeah. That was heart wrenching when you when the reality when the doctor walked in and she immediately just you know she didn't beat around the bush mm. <laughs> she's like yes this is cancer so that yeah that was heart wrenching um, but I think but more than anything I was more concerned about my children mm. you know and my husband and my family mm-hmm. I was more concerned about what everybody else was gonna think you know before I mean of course it hit me but then all the first thing I thought about was like wow mm. how am I gonna tell everybody. How am I going to break this to everybody? So. And how did that conversation go? Whew. Well, luckily, uh, my husband found out right then and there because my doctor immediately told me to call him in because he wasn't in the bill. He wasn't in the um, doctor's office. He, I guess, I think he was intentionally away because mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think he wanted to handle it. So by having him come in and having to hear it from the doctor, okay. Step one, mm. <laughs> he knows. And so... Yeah, shit just got real. Right. <laughs> so I had to kind of use him to help me mm. tell everyone else. And so, was that what I did? Or like his family. But mm-hmm. I actually called my mom, my mom who raised me. I called her because she, you know, her and my dad were, had been divorced for a little while. Mm. And I called her and I told her. Wow. Because I felt like it was easier to tell her because she wasn't here. I didn't have to look at her. Right. <laughs> we just have a phone conversation. Mm-hmm. I just told her. And at that moment is when I realized I needed her to tell everybody. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to break it to them. But I knew I had to tell them. I wasn't going to be one of those people that didn't want to tell anybody. Right. I just couldn't be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. So anybody, the closer you were to me, aside from my husband because he was there mm-hmm. and he had to know. The closer you were to me, the harder it was. Oh, I can only imagine. For me to talk about it. So Of course, of course. And what a, a courageous thing to reach out to somebody and, and say, whether you said, listen, I need mm-hmm. you to take this one, mm-hmm. but to say, I need your help in, right, in yeah. dealing with the emotional of just, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you're you still in the doctor's office. You haven't even gotten to the part of, mm-hmm. okay, I have to deal with treatment and how right, do I move forward right. in my life? It's just yes. I need to even soak this in and yeah. now share it with mm-hmm. people who are in my inner circle. Right, yeah, and wow. that was hard. And I actually never mouthed the words to my children the first go-round. Mm-hmm. There's no way in hell I was going to be able to do that. And how old were they when in 2006? Oh, gosh, they were young. Um, my oldest was 13. And I think she's close to your age. Yeah, she's she was thirteen at the time. Um, the middle was ten, mm-hmm. and then the baby she was she was only six. Wow. So, but the funny thing about my oldest is I'd been going back and forth to the doctor a lot, you know, trying to figure out what was going on, and she before she knew. She said something to me, and she gave me this look. She just looked at me, and she's like, are you okay, Mommy? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, you know, you keep going to the doctor, and, and you know, I've been watching Lifetime, and on Lifetime, people always say that they're fine, and it turns out they have cancer. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, well, what are you talking about? I'm fine, you know, look and at me. And you didn't know at this point, right? I can't remember if I 
I can't remember if I was close to knowing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might have been really close to when I was. Yeah, it was either I, either I knew, or I had an inkling. Right. <laughs> I cannot remember, but that was tough. And what was it that made you even go to the doctor? Did you just do a self examination on your breast and find a lump? Now this is the craziest thing. Um, I make uh, jewelry. I've made jewelry kind of as a little side thing, and I was up late making. Um, it might have even been for. Kathy for her wedding I was up late was it her or someone else I can't remember making an order mm-hmm. a jewelry order yeah it might have been for her and I dropped a bead in my shirt mm. <laughs> so when I went in my shirt just feeling around for the bead I felt the lump wow yeah and it freaked me out because I was like I never felt that before and then of course I feel the other one I don't feel it mm-hmm. so yeah that's and how I found out how'd you um, growing up as a young girl and, and even around that time mm-hmm. as an adult woman, because how old were you? In 37. 37. Yeah. Was there a lot of emphasis on self-examination and, and being aware of checking and knowing your body? Yes. I mean, I, it's something I had thought about before because I do remember hearing about how if you breastfeed, you lessen the chances of getting breast cancer. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, well, I probably won't ever get breast cancer because as much as I breastfed these kids, <laughs> you I know, should be all right. I should be fine. <laughs> so yeah, I did. I was very aware of it. I knew someone else who had had cancer, so occasionally mm-hmm. I would do a self breast exam. But I do remember the feeling when I found it. I remember thinking, I know I did. I had felt my breast sometime not too long ago before that Mm -hmm. and I just remember thinking like I didn't I don't think I felt anything like this before Mm -hmm. so I probably had done one Mm -hmm. and I also had just been to the gynecologist maybe six months earlier and Mm -hmm. she did a breast exam right and she even talked about whether or not I should get a um whatchamacallit a mammogram mammogram Mm -hmm. at that time and and I, I think of my grandmother my paternal grandmother they found out she had breast cancer right before she died and so I think we talked about it. We talked about that, and she tried to figure out whether or not that meant I should get a mammogram or not. And she said, okay, you know, you're 37. We don't think you need one. But she did a full-on <laughs> breast exam, and that mm-hmm. was only six months earlier. Wow. Or, and she didn't mm-hmm. find anything at that no. time? Mm-mm. Not at all. Wow. I, the reason I asked you that is because mm-hmm. I've noticed um, on social media and, mm-hmm. and just sort of throughout you know, culture now mm-hmm. – there's a real emphasis on you need to check yourself. You need to know yes. what's normal and natural yes. for your body, mm-hmm. and be checking it mm-hmm. at le- you know daily. Yeah. And if it at least once at, a month, at least you know. But if yeah. you're in the shower, just sort of yes. knowing knowing mm-hmm. what's normal for you, and mm-hmm. and so you don't question it and going, oh, is that is that something? Because yeah. if you know, you know that you know, it, it didn't feel that like wasn't that there before. yesterday, or that wasn't there last Ex- week. You know exactly, and that's 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 always the message that mm-hmm. I tell. And what for, you know, those listening who are um, wondering about this, you know, what did it actually feel like when you first felt now, the lump? mine felt interesting. It felt like a marble. So it was very hard. It was hard, like a marble. And I can't tell whether I felt like it was moving or just that the skin around it was moving. Mm-hmm. But the interesting thing was right before my grandmother died, she actually died of liver cancer, but she had not told anyone that she had a lump in her breast. Mm -hmm. And at that time, maybe about a month before she died, she says, well, I think I have a lump in my breast. And I was like, you do? Like, why have you, you know, 
you know, mm-hmm. why haven't you ever told us? And, and she says, yeah, see here, feel it. And she asked me to feel it, and I felt it, and it was hard and round. And the craziest thing, that's exactly how mine felt. Wow. And it was almost in the same spot. Wow. <laughs> and to this day, I'm unsure if my grandmother actually did die of breast cancer because breast cancer typically will spread to the liver. And Wow. I don't know. But, but most times they can figure out, even mm-hmm. if it's in the liver. But I don't know. But, but it always made me wonder if that's where. And did she just not think to mention that, or was she I think she was holding sure? out. She was holding out on it, and she had never actually had a mammogram. I never knew that. I was shocked when I found mm-hmm. that. And, and that's the two generations back yeah. from you where, you know, mm-hmm. obviously education and knowledge is right. so prevalent now. Yeah. You know, it, maybe it wasn't back then right. t- taught like it, it is now. It's probably not. And she went to the doctor a lot because mm-hmm. she did mention something about one of her gynecological visits. So I mm-hmm. think I was under the assumption that that would have been something wow. that she would do. But who knows? Like you said, generational, if it wasn't such an... And I don't know that she actually like was able to breastfeed mm-hmm. um but i just i just didn't i didn't even think that could i didn't even think that could happen somebody her age 89 yeah. never, had, never had one wow. yeah wow. but the amazing thing is that she did live to be 89 right mm-hmm. <laughs> that's know. incredible yeah <laughs> gosh my paternal great-grandfather and i hope i'm getting this right i'd have to double check with my dad died of leukemia mm-hmm. and um I don't, I'm not, I have to ask him the story, but he basically never told his wife. Wow. Um, maybe he told his children, because obviously mm-hmm. the story, you know, people knew the truth, but his wife died not knowing. I, I, can't, I can't remember what she thought he passed away from. Wow. Um, something not as aggressive, you know, just like the <laughs> flu or some, something, you know. And yeah. I always wondered why he made that choice, you know, saving her. Maybe he didn't think she mm-hmm. could handle it. Yeah. Um, and my aunt on my mother's mm-hmm. side has had ovarian cancer. Wow. So those have been my sort of mm-hmm. direct experiences with it. And I remember I want, and I, I'm terrible for, for not being exactly sure on the, on the year, but I think my aunt got diagnosed in 2006, I oh. think. Okay. So around the, around time, the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being really scared mm-hmm. for her and, and and ovarian cancer is scary yeah and and being mm-hmm. young enough to not really understand but know right. what, know that cancer mm-hmm. was uh you know not a good thing and, right. and led to potential you know mm-hmm. not not surviving it and, right. and i remember um it was more the look in my mother's face mm-hmm. when when she was going you know through all of that and eventually had to have a hysterectomy just sort of wow. feeling the pr- the pressure of like something's not right in my family mm-hmm. you know yeah. and my um, paternal grandfather who had leukemia passed before I was ever born so I never oh, wow. never met him or really interacted with him wow. um but those have been my experiences yeah. of, of more just re- realizing the, the the emotional weight mm-hmm. that it that it takes on a family well, yeah the word cancer and we grew up I mean I know growing up cancer was always a death sentence as far mm-hmm. as I knew mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't until I was older that I would meet people mm-hmm. that had actually had cancer and, you know, gone through treatment and they were mm-hmm. still alive. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I just remember thinking, I met, I saw a woman who was an auctioneer and someone, um, this is, I was, you know, well into adulthood and someone was saying how she had had cancer. And I remember that was the first time me seeing someone wow. that had had cancer. And I looked at her, I was like, wow, well, she looks great. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> it's my not mind. the picture that we normally see. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. 
So after you had broken the news to your family, mm-hmm. what was the next stage in your journey? Well, of course, uh, the next stage was just immediate, um, you know, treatment. And I, I, I love my doctor. She's mm-hmm. awesome. She was just about business. And at my age, she wanted to handle it aggressively. Mm-hmm. And I had no clue what all that meant. Mm-hmm. And so I just You're like, of... I've just been told I need a minute. <laughs> Can you just hold on? Oh, my God. So, yeah, what I did that day, I ended up having to go back to my office that same day and ran into the president of our firm wow. as I'm going back into the office after finding out I have cancer and just thinking I can Wait, go. you went you went to do- the doctor's office on like during a work a day work and day. then went back to work? Went back to the office. If that doesn't talk yes. about who you are as a person, oh I don't know what does. But everybody was gone because I think my doctor intentionally made me sit and wait to the end of the day right. <laughs> before she saw me. But I went back in my office to get my things, hoping that I wouldn't have to see anybody because I had mm. left a few things on my desk and so I had to go and grab them. Miranda's the president of the firm. Wow. And we're in, we're, I worked in a research department and she's looking for the researchers because she has some question. And I'm like, oh God, there's Anne. Okay. And so when when I see her walking, I couldn't just ignore her. And, and she just had this look and I was like, oh, Anne, just trying to compose myself. <laughs> like, did you need something? You know, is there... Is there something you need? She's like, is everybody gone? I said, yeah, everybody's gone. And she says, well, I just, you know, I needed to know. And she kind of looked at me, and she could tell something was wrong. I thought I was hiding it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't we always do that? <laughs> and she immediately, you know, kind of put her hand on me like, are you okay? And then, of course, at that moment, I just lost. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so she was the first person in a toad <laughs> outside of my husband. Wow. But it was... It was, she was awesome. Mm. I mean, she, you know, had a successful woman, had plenty of wealthy, well-to-do friends and mm-hmm. all that. So she immediately was like, Angie, I think you're going to be fine. I have so many people that have gone through this. If you ever need anybody wow. to talk to. And and I was like, yeah, I'm sure it's going to come. I was like, I just found out. You know, I just need to say, well, you just do whatever you have to do. Mm. And whatever you want me to do. I'll do. Wow. Like, from that moment. That's incredible. You know? And I even gave her, I even gave her permission to let people know. Because I, I actually rather let people know what was going on with me, Mm -hmm. as opposed to them trying to sit around and wonder and guess. And and to carry all that weight Mm -hmm. of all of that. And like I said, the people that were closer to me were harder to tell. Sure. People who I knew. Acquaintances. Acquaintances and and friends. I could tell them. Mm Because they weren't living with me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they weren't. Did you feel like it was this, I mean, you're, you're an incredibly positive and amazing mm-hmm. person, but I can only imagine, like, the pressure of, okay, here's another person I have to tell. Like, did you have, like, a sort of a speech in your head of, like, each person you had to recall yeah. it well, to? Well, you know, fortunately, it became fewer and for fewer people that I had to tell. Right. Because by telling key few people, mm-hmm. they would just let everybody know. Right. And that actually made things easier for me. And so by the time um, I actually started going through treatment, Mm -hmm. I didn't have to tell folks anymore because then they knew something was going on. So they would ask me questions and then I could say. And so what I I think I did do with um, some of my friends, I did send them all. We were big on email back then. Yeah, back in the day. Yes, I sent all my (laughs) friends that I could think of an email and let them know what was going on with me. And I do think there was one friend who I forgot to tell, and it was probably somebody who was really close to me. Mm-hmm. And I might have been like, oh, i got to call her. I can't just send her a message. And I never called her. And so 
when she started. I think I had Facebook back then. Did I have it? No. How did she? I know I wasn't on Facebook back then. I'm trying to remember. It was something. Maybe it was MySpace. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. No, I don't even know what it was. Or maybe, you know what it was? Isn't that I, hilarious that it was only 2006 and yet yes. we're talking about things that are obsolete? But there was something <laughs> that she saw. Right. And then she reached out to me. And, and I don't think it was Facebook. Anyway, I can't remember now. I have to go back in my memory bank. But it was something that she saw and she reached out to me. And that was like, yeah. And that was when I realized, like, Angie, there are people that you still haven't, right. <laughs> haven't talked then, to. Yeah. You know, and like we slightly touched on earlier, not only have you got this diagnosis and this future journey ahead of mm-hmm. you that you have to deal with and process you've also got this pressure of being responsible for having to tell people right, like yeah. you know you would have been forgiven for just going don't want to talk about it and you know don't right. don't ask me about it don't look at me you know and you clearly handled it with such strength and grace which is amazing and I don't you know and I think I'm one of these people that um most folks aren't like this and this is, like I said it's probably to a fault I always feel like I have an obligation, mm. you know, to folks. And, yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> but, I, you know, I sort of felt like I need to let people know what's going mm-hmm. on so, you know, they don't have to wonder or, you know, somehow or another, even if whether it's me telling them or somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody has to let them know yeah. what's happening. Because I guess I'd rather, I'd rather people know that I'm going through something and that's why I might not be able to do this right. or that. But that's, that speaks about your heart. Yeah. And how incredible you are as a person. How were people, when when you told them, how was how were people's responses? Did you have to deal with anybody being awkward or inappropriate? Or how, how I was mean, that? I there was probably a few folks. But in general, most people were very, um, handled it very graciously. Like mm. they, and I think it's because someone else told them. Right. So they'd <laughs> had their precious minute to deal with it. And, yeah. You so know. thankfully, people didn't come to me all teary-eyed and mm-hmm. all upset and you know of course folks would give you you were you know hug hug me or whatever but mm-hmm. everybody was happy and smiling and like Angie you're gonna kill this mm-hmm. you know you're you're awesome this is gonna be nothing or yeah. you know I mean everybody kind of came at me with a very yeah. pot and I guess it's because they knew that typically that's kind of the person that I was right when things were rough even when I days when I'm sick at work I'd always be like oh I'm okay I'm okay I'll mm-hmm. just just insanely positive <sighs> Like I said, to a fault sometimes, right. <laughs> but but I think turn they, down the joy, right? Andrew, turn <laughs> it down. <laughs> it's just a notch or two. But less I, happiness, I, later, yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> But I do think that people, um, yeah, people knew me and they knew that I didn't like to be sad right. around other folks. Right. So you don't seem like a person that wants to be coddled. You know, yeah. you talked about earlier about that just fierce independence and yeah. and making it, mm-hmm. you know, so. I can't see you as, as, I mean, every once in a while, you know, we all need, need little, to be, yeah, you, need a you know, bit, but not too swaddled much. and held, right. but, you know, <laughs> not too much. yeah. I don't, I don't like to, you know what it is? I don't like to burden people with right. that. I think that's my problem. And it's a fine line, which mm-hmm. we, we all go through on our journeys. I know I, I do all the time is trying to figure out what's the line between mm-hmm. being independent and right making sure that we're good on our own, you know, especially yeah. as modern women now, we want to provide for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and really, you know, be all right on right. our own. I yeah. think for a lot of people, that's an insurance policy. So mm-hmm. if somebody walks out on us, we can say, we can say look, hey, I don't need you. Right. I'm already fine. I can handle this. You be, haven't even affected if it's a lie. me at all. Leaving. Thank you. Right. No. Even but, if it's not true. Right. <laughs> then you go and cry with a glass right. of wine in the bath. But then it's the other side of the coin, which yeah. is going, okay, well, we know that, 
you know, true connection comes when we're vulnerable right. and having the ability yeah. to ask for help and right. say, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm not all right and I need mm-hmm. some support. It's that balance, you yes. know. So I'm I'm really happy that you had that experience of people mm-hmm. of being more positive because, yeah. you know, we, and we all have to be so careful of this, whether it is cancer or bereavement mm-hmm. or, or whatever, whatever yeah. some heavy thing that somebody else yes. is going for, right. when we become so impacted by it mm-hmm. we without realizing put the emotional burden back on them of mm-hmm. having to then comfort us of right, going yeah. it's all right i'll be okay you know whereas <laughs> you're having to deal with this thing right so yeah i think that's good advice for anybody who mm-hmm. you know we're talking specifically about cancer but mm-hmm. anyone who is in that situation where they're confronted mm-hmm. with someone they know going through something mm-hmm. actually a really positive wonderful response is to be smiley and happy and yeah. and and just courageous yeah. with them instead of right. that instead of yeah sullen you know right and you know and then sometimes people people do need to be yeah. sad and you need to just oh let, you, ask, you need that to let doesn't take away sad. you need yes. your moment of course but and you know and the funny thing about me is i gave myself an entire day i went home mm-hmm. and just got in the bed mm-hmm. and stayed in the bed and emailed my staff my um my boss and mm-hmm. told her to, you know work that I wasn't coming in, mm-hmm. and she knew I was going to the doctor that day, so she immediately was concerned. Mm-hmm. And I just told her, you know, I'll talk to her about it when I when I get back to work. But mm-hmm. she 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 knew because it wasn't something I did, and I did. I gave myself a little pity party all day, mm-hmm. laid in the bed, cried and cried all day long. How many going to gave yourself a day? Yeah, I gave myself a day for the most part, and then the next day I said, "All right, Angie." You know, and I think it was on a Friday, so yeah, I didn't go back to the office in So yeah, I I just said, okay, now you, now you got to figure out what you're gonna do. Wow. You know, how are you gonna handle wow. this? Yeah. So many people, I can imagine, and they would be completely forgiven for it, would fall into a complete depression, and you just didn't do that. You know, I mean, you had obviously mm-hmm. your moments of sadness, right. but you just. But you know, I will admit that I I had a little, I did have a little additional help. You know, I had great family mm-hmm. and friends and all that. But I do remember I used to have um, anxiety issues. Mm, um, I have anxiety too. Yes, I had it to a point where I would, be like panic attacks, like full. Oh, I know them attacks. well. Yes, it's I crazy. feel like I'm on the strongest drug possible when I'm having one, and I'm like, am I high or panicking? I can't tell. Can't tell right? And it's horrible. Like laughing aside, it's the worst thing in the world. Yes. Shout it's out the... to anybody who has them because they're horrific. They're, they're terrible. And I remember back then I had been on antidepressants before I found mm-hmm. out about cancer, but I was probably trying. I always kept trying to wean myself off. Sure, like, yeah. Angie. You know, you just need to figure out how to handle the stress. You, you just, just need some sunshine need this. and so some guys, water, right. and you'll be fine. <laughs> and you'll be okay. You need to be able to sleep and blah, blah, blah. But when I found out I had cancer, I went straight to the pharmacist and said, wow. all right, re-up. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> give me the drugs. I'll stay on See them. this bottle? Fill it. Yes. <laughs> I was on something fairly mild, but I realized that I needed that. Mm. And that and that did get me. That first diagnosis, I haven't taken antidepressants since 2008, but that first di- that. I was on those. Mm-hmm. I was on the um, antidepressants the entire time. Wow. So I will say that that probably right. <laughs> I I hear you, but I know I know that you're just an incredibly positive person, and that's I not try. to put the pressure on you that you no. have to always be that way. No. But you know, general, that's yeah. just amazing. Mm-hmm. What was the treatment that you had? Was it chemo? Yes, chemo. It was it was very aggressive because, like I said, my age and mm. the tumor was a decent size. I think about two 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 and a half centimeters. Wow. 
so she handled it aggressively. She immediately started me on chemo. Um, they call it the red devil, the chemo that I was taking. Lord. Yes. <laughs> so if you, you hear that. <laughs> it made me, they ease you into it, don't they? Oh, gosh. It made me deathly ill because mm. I you know, hated taking medication. Didn't follow directions. Was didn't. it a pill? No, it was an, an infusion. I had to go for an infusion. I had to do... Will you educate me? Because I don't know what that is. So they... Well, they also gave me, they give you, they give you a port now so that they don't kill your veins. Mm. So they put a little port catheter under your skin that attaches as wires that go all the way down to your, one of your blood, your heart vessels. It's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And so they. Do you have to go under for them to put that in? Um, yeah. It, it, like a twilight. Like a general yeah, anesthesia. Yeah. Kind of. But they, um, no, I think, yeah, I guess I did just do general anesthesia. I do recall that. But yeah, so they, they puncture that thing. <laughs> And literally put the poison <laughs> right into your into your into your veins into wow. your into your vessels. So and it, it, it and it is poison, isn't it? Chemotherapy. That's why I call it. I just call it poison. I said they stabbed me in the chest and they gave me poison. <laughs> so I mean, I really want to, to learn about that. What what is when people say I'm having chemotherapy? I think a lot of people just go, "Oh, that's the treatment for cancer," but they yes. don't really know what that involves. The well, nausea. They, you know, they have all different types of can, um, chemo now, and they're all, you know, targeted in different ways. But the idea is that it's going to kill the cancer cells to mm -hmm. have, keep your those cells from reproducing. But in the process, it doesn't always know the difference between the good cells and, and the bad cells. cells. And that's why people lose their hair. Right. Because it attacks. I mean, yeah. it's full. Because those, are, I guess, are cells that are reproducing sure. or whatever. So. Um, depending on your cancer, your your chemo can cause nausea and um, vomiting, body aches, uh, flu-like symptoms. Mm -hmm. A lot of weird, random things, like right. things you don't even think about that it can cause. But it just depends. So my first chemo was pretty intense. Um, I immediately lost uh, lost my hair after about, yeah, it took about three weeks before all, wow. all of my, well, it didn't all fall out, but enough of it fell out. Where I had, where I told my husband to shave it off. I can't take this. Your husband shaved your head. <laughs> he for shaved you. my head. What I was, was like, I that can't like? <laughs> assuming you'd never shaved your hair just no, for aesthetic. Before. Not that short. No. <laughs> <laughs> what was that like as well, a woman whose women naturally are oh attached their hair? Yes. What was that and I had long, like? thick hair. I mean, wow. yeah, it was tough. But I, you know, I gave myself time to adjust mm. to the idea. And you know, the only thing I could think of was like. Grace Jones or Sinead O'Connor or whatever. I just yes. try to think of women who were badasses with no hair. Natalie Portman. <laughs> yeah. Right. All of these folks. Was that a special moment for you for your husband to shave your head? Yeah. I mean, he handled it. He handled it well. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, he could tell I was freaking out. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was doing everything I could. I was like, okay, well, I can't touch it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put a scarf on it. I'm going to take it off. I can't wash it. I mean, mm -hmm. everything I did, it literally was just... You are just trying to hold on to it. Yeah. It just falling out. And so... I I knew I couldn't be one of those people that just let it fall out on its own because that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I mean I think the hardest part for me, the shaving of my head wasn't so bad, because mm -hmm. once he did it it was liberating it felt good I was right. like thank God mm -hmm. it's gone and then I looked at myself and I was like ah, I don't look too bad you know I was okay with well, a face like that you could never <laughs> my head's big but you know it's, it's round in the right places so mm -hmm. <laughs> it looked okay so I wasn't I didn't mind the way I looked I mm -hmm. thought I looked great but what I was worried about was my job and I knew I didn't I never liked wigs I was mm -hmm. never I was always a very natural person mm -hmm. so I the idea of putting 
some other hair on my head was it's just weird. It's gonna feel weird. And I kept trying to embrace it. Yeah. They're like, Angie, you can have different looks. You can do this, you can yeah. do that. And one of my friends was just in town and she's one of those people whose hair always looks great and perfectly as I say, perfectly coiffed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to buy a wig, I had no idea what to get. Mm-hmm. But I think I immediately started looking at wigs that look like her hair. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was the only thing in my head. <laughs> so that what was, was the wig, uh, the wig that you it went was, for. It it was it was almost like a, it was a little bit bobbish sort of, <laughs> but it had like uh-huh. <laughs> kind of like some waves. <laughs> and then I think I did get one that was a curly wig because I mean I've always had I always worn my worn my hair naturally mm-hmm. curly for the most part. Um, I did get one of those too, so I think I think I might have gotten like two or three. Wow! I wore that wig to work one day, <clears throat> and that's all I could take. That was take. it, and and that was to me the hardest part is getting off the elevator with this strange thing on my head. Yeah, and and even though my entire office knew about my cancer diagnosis, I just didn't want them to be all freaked out and not know what right. to say. And, mm-hmm. and naturally, everybody was like, "Oh, Angie, I love your hair today," and I'm thinking like, "This don't look nothing like." Yeah. <laughs> Did you see it the other day? Because right. it wasn't there. It didn't look like this. <laughs> but they were just so nice. Some of yeah. them really didn't see the difference. Right. And some of them were just doing anything they could to yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> to say something nice. Wow. But in the minute I got in the car, I just would rip it off my head. And mm. I was like, we got to figure something else out. Because I cannot sure. get, leave the house like this every day. It's yeah. just not me. Mm-hmm. And so I think I may have worn the wig maybe about three times, depending on where I was going, where I was doing. But I just immediately just started putting scarves on my head. Wow. Just because I just felt like, you know what, this feels so much better. And yeah. so You've got to do what feels right for you, don't you? Exactly. And then people picked up on it and started bringing me scarves. Wow. <laughs> How lovely is that? Just, like, amazing scarves. And yeah. so it made every day more... You know, um, interesting because I can get creative and decide, well, what scarf shall I wear with yeah. this? Or, yeah, that's amazing. So you said a minute ago that you, you know, had real sickness during the chemo. Yeah, I I didn't follow directions. So the first the first treatment, I was very nauseous. Mm. I was sick for about five days, and it was just it was just like I imagined. Like you've seen these shows where people are having chemo and they're deathly ill and blah blah blah. And they were like, oh, chemo's not like that anymore. So evidently for me, it was. Yeah. <laughs> but I learned my lesson. Can't imagine. Yeah, I learned my lesson from that first time around. When you say you didn't follow instructions, what do you mean? You're supposed to take, uh, well, even back then, uh, more so, You have to, they give you pills that you're supposed to take before your treatment. Okay. And so if you take it before your treatment, the anti-nausea will kick in. Mm-hmm. And more than likely, you may not have as much nausea. Right. And because I didn't, mm. I... Yeah, I got really, really sick the first time Oof. around. Makes so. me nauseous just thinking oh, about it. It's like I just can't imagine. And, yeah. and I think that's in. It's one of those things in life that you can be as empathetic as you want, and you can try and understand. Mm-hmm. You know, be there for somebody if if they're right. in your life, but you 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 have no idea until it happens until you to have you. To, yeah. Yeah. And it affects people differently because a lot of, of women in that support group are like, "Oh, chemo, that wasn't nothing." I'm looking at them like, "Yeah, well, I wasn't." I don't know experience. what chemo you took. Yeah. <laughs> What, what kind of stomach you got? Yeah. They just have an iron, <laughs> iron, iron stomach. Yeah. Stomach. Gosh, wow. Because I hated it. But Did I it in, impact your life, like your day to day life. Well, funny thing is, I tried to figure it out how it was going to work, and so I tried to do the chemo towards the end of the week, so that I could, um, you know, go on a Friday or maybe Thursday, and then give myself time over the weekends and mm. try to feel better. And then my job was great. They let me work from home. 
um, for however many days I needed to. So I'd probably work from home about four or five days, and then I'd come back in the office. Mm -hmm. And everything was normal. You know, once I get back in the office, everything was just like it ever was before, mm -hmm. you know. And I think after a while, people got accustomed to it, so nobody's, like, walking around being careful with me or right. anything like Holding that. Right, delicate gloves. Yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, so there was normalcy. I mean, there was definitely changes that I had to make, but for the most part, I was able to, yeah, kind of continue as I normally would. But I will say that first diagnosis, I was much more cautious about everything. Right. I was really concerned about my activities and, mm -hmm. you know, should I do this, should I do that, listen to the doctors, and, mm -hmm. you know. And so I just kind of took it easy, yeah. listened to what they said, mm -hmm. and, you know. How long did you take or have that chemotherapy? Now, I did that one for... Um, I think I only had like two or three of those treatments, and then they me after my tumor shrank really quickly, mm -hmm. and my doctor told me to you know make sure that the oncologist does not shrink it where it can't be felt anymore. So after about the second treatment, I told him I said, "Well, no, Doctor Phillips says she doesn't want you to completely shrink it because mm -hmm. she wants to be able to take something out, right? Because she wants to see, what you know, was. what you know what it was when she when she takes it out. So I only had either two or three of those treatments, and that's. Uh, treatment every three weeks okay yeah and a week off or something like that and so after that um i then went ahead and did my surgery so my first surgery was a lumpectomy, a lumpectomy mm -hmm. because she felt like she could save my breast and when she said it i was like you mean you i don't have to give up my breast and mm -hmm. she's like well no if you're okay with keeping it mm -hmm. then i think we can do breast um conserving surgery so she just removed the lump was a much easier um surgery yeah. i mean it didn't take long for recovery from that so i mean that wasn't too bad but then after that i had to do another type of chemo that helps prevent the cancer from coming back so just when my hair starts to grow back in starts to fall out again for fuck's sake <laughs> i've just yeah because i've not thinking... sworn on the podcast before but it's out the window Sorry. now <laughs> You didn't do it. I did. <laughs> Sorry. I think it, I think for this subject, it's oh, yeah. appropriate. It's appropriate. Yeah. Swearing was uh, invented yeah, for of, a reason, and a this of, is it. A lot of f's come yeah. along with the cancer. <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. that much. But yeah. But it was yeah because I was just just when I was getting just a little bit of slick hair, thinking like, oh, this is kind of cute. This <laughs> isn't bad. Then I start looking like a scraggly old man again. <laughs> <laughs> But I, yeah, I did that about. I think I had about four treatments, and that that chemo was a little different. It was it was basically basically feeling like you had the flu all mm. the time. It's like you you know you go after a couple of days, you just feel like you're you feel fluish, mm. and then they give you a lot of drugs to help boost your white blood cells and your red blood cells, and those medications hurt your bones too. Mm. So you you just pretty much kind of just feel like yeah, I'm just dragging. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just here. Um, and then after that, I still had to do six weeks of radiation. <laughs> Gosh. And that's where they literally just fry the spot wherever your cancer was. Does that affect the skin? Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the repercussions. It'll it kind of it will irritate and burn your skin. Almost like a sunburn. Mm -hmm. Really, a lot like a sunburn. Yeah, and you get like swelling. So I want to say my breast was swollen mm. after that radiation, probably for about a year because really. It, and this was the breast where they removed the lump. It was bigger than my other breast, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was all swollen. Yeah, well, the yeah, poor the thing it's gone through. Yeah. You know, surgery and radiation and just mm -hmm. all that goes along with that type of treatment. Right. Yeah, it'd been been through some things. <laughs> yeah, it needed a bit small vacation. Gosh. But then because my cancer was aggressive and it it qualified or 
tested what's it called something called her two new okay um it's yeah some type of marker that they find in, in cancers they had a treatment that would target that type of cancer to prevent that from coming back so that was a whole year's worth of an infusion it was like getting chemo but you didn't have the same side effects okay you just kind of felt like oh, i'm a little tired so sort of from start to finish it was about a year is that so, right no let's see that's one year treatment Two years. Two years. Two years. And then what was the journey? Did you get told, okay, you're in remission, it's mm-hmm. it's gone? Yeah, after that. And actually after she took the lump out, she basically told me I was cancer-free at that point because wow. they said that the margins were good, which meant there weren't any, wasn't any surrounding cancer around the lump when they took it out. So mm-hmm. I was cancer-free. And how did that feel, going from being told you have cancer to you are cancer-free. I mean, it it was a great feeling, but you're still in treatment. Right. You know, that's the only thing. But I will say, being in treatment for so long, I took it for granted because mm-hmm. once, and this has happened both times, once I was done with mm-hmm. treatment and I was kind of on my own, I was supposed to just take a little pill that I really only took for like a year. <laughs> but, I sense you don't like taking pills. <laughs> no, I'm terrible <laughs> about it. But after the after I stopped seeing them like on a regular mm-hmm. where I'm going there every three weeks or whatever it is, I that's when it hit me again. I'm like, well, you're on your own. You're mm-hmm. out here praying that this isn't gonna come back. It's mm-hmm. not thinking about every little aching pain you get. That's right. cancer. You know, so you're you're I literally felt lost at that point. Mm-hmm. It just hit me like whoa, I'm going to miss those people. <laughs> right. I mean, I would still see them, but it's like every six months now. Mm. It's not like before. Yeah. And was that thought going around in your head of, oh, this may come back, or was it just mm-hmm. true, you know, we're done with this, or did you have that fear? I think initially I just kept feeling like it was going to come back. Mm. I did. Every little thing, you know, every little thing. But I think after a while, after I hit the five-year mark, I remember my doctor saying, well, you know, because it gives give you they give you the statistics of you know the likelihood or of things happening again and and he gave me the statistics and of course I'm like oh crap this could come back but he says well you know why not think that you could be the other one of the other people mm. who never gets it again why can, you know why can't you just live in that space why can't you just think that way and so I like did you just have cancer <laughs> what do you mean why can't why you can't? But it's so funny, but after that five-year mark, I started remembering what he said. And I said, okay, Andy, this, that's it. You're mm-hmm. done. You're not going to So you going. were told cancer-free and five years that went by. Five years have gone by. And so at that point, I So we're now doing, in 2011? 11. Okay, I'm terrible at math. Yes. Around that time is when I decided, you know what, I'm going to be one of those people who's never going to get it again. Mm-hmm. And I even started to lose a lot, lose touch with some of it because you know mm-hmm. before you know you always when you pick past, women, you know. you're doing all this but i was at a point where i, I wasn't as connected right anymore because i felt like oh, that's not my i'm not owning that that's not my life anymore i'm not going to manifest it right. i'm not going to acknowledge it <laughs> not going to live in it yeah i'm not going to live in that space i stopped going to my support group mm-hmm. i still was supportive of other people sure. going through it but i had already decided that was just a blip in my life and i was done wow so yeah so when it came back <laughs> You're allowed to say the F word now if you want to, just the other way. Right. So it, five years went by, and what was what, how did you figure out that you'd had, you had it again? Yeah, and so and technically um, it was 10 years from the time I was diagnosed before, 2016, actually 2015. It was the same thing because I actually found my lump in 2005. Wow. <laughs> I was diagnosed in 2006, same thing. I was, I woke up 
that's when I just started a new job and I'd been I'd been pretty stressed out at work because it was a lot more than mm-hmm. what I was accustomed to at this new job and and I remember just kind of laying in the bed and had my arm back I just woke up with mm-hmm. my arm like over my head and so it was a perfect position for a breast exam so I just woke up and didn't feel like getting out of the bed so I was just like oh let me just feel around and I started feeling around and I'm like oh crap what what made you think to do that in the middle of the night? I don't know. It just I think it was Isn't amazing. Little yeah. things in life like that. You're just, like that made that no no sense. But yeah. why in that moment? Yeah, like why was my arm back like that? And why did I? God, <laughs> that's my opinion yeah. anyway. Well, I mean, yeah. yeah, very well could be. And I felt something, and I immediately freaked out. Like, oh my gosh, this wow. feels like something. And I know I had a lot of scar tissue from the surgery the first time, so I thought, well, you know, they always say that there's scar tissue. Mm. And so I said, buddy, you don't wait this time, because I think I waited about a month or so the first time before mm. I went to the doctor. But this time I said, you don't wait. I called my doctor the next day, and I said, look, I felt something. I need to come in. They let me come in the day after. Mm-hmm. So I was in their office just sitting there <laughs> ready Were you terrified? Them. I mean, part of me was and part of me wasn't. It right. was just kind of like, oh, it could be. But I'm like, Angie, you've been through this before. You don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, just yeah, just get out of that space because right at this moment, mm-hmm. you don't have cancer as far as you know. Right. <laughs> and that's what I kept telling myself. As far as you know, your life is just like it was the day before. So yeah. stay in that space. And so when they first started looking, my... My, um, I went the, there's two people, two doctors in the office, and I had the younger doctors this time, and she said, don't tell me where it is. Don't tell me where the lump is. I want to find it. And so she immediately felt around, <laughs> found it right away because she wanted to see if it felt, you know what I mean, right. like how it felt when she found it. Or, and so she immediately was like, oh, okay. Was it the same breast? Same breast. Same mm-hmm. place? Different place. Wow. Slightly different place. And so she immediately was like, oh, this could be a cyst. And so she said, let's do an ultrasound. So she's doing the ultrasound, and, and she's looking at it, and she's like, oh, I really can't tell. She said, but, you know, I'm thinking it's a cyst. It's a cyst. She just kept trying to reassure me. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, let's just go do a biopsy. So they take me down the ground floor. Do a, they do another mammogram wow. <laughs> right there on the spot, do a biopsy, everything. And as she's doing the biopsy, I see the look on her face because mm-hmm. she's seen some of the same things, you know, that she'd seen on other breast cancer. And, you know, so they did the biopsy, and she's like, and I walked out of there knowing I had cancer. I was like, crap, this is freaking cancer. Did they tell you that, or did you just have, you just knew? I just knew it in my head. But the craziest part about this, the twist of this crazy story is, when I went back four days later, I'm sitting in the office completely thinking I've got cancer. I'm like, Angie, just prepare yourself, you know, just get your mind right. You know, this is probably going to be cancer, and da-da-da-da-da. And she immediately, when I go in her office, she immediately just throws her hands up, smiles, and hugs me. She's like, hey, you don't have cancer. It's not cancer. This is not cancer. And I'm looking like, okay, I can't believe this. She's telling me I don't have cancer. I've already convinced myself that I have cancer. And she says, you don't. You know, it says it right here. That they didn't find anything in the biopsy. But she started reading me the, what the doctor, the lab doctors wrote, and it said that unable to find cancer in the samples. Basically, it was all it said. That doesn't mean there's no cancer. That just means we right. can't find she it. She couldn't find They couldn't find it. And so she says, well, it says here you don't have it, and but we're going to have to remove it. And there's always a, like a 10% chance that they could find something in okay. the scar tissue. So I was like, okay. And it was around Christmas time. So I was like, okay, well, she says I don't have it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live in that space and just enjoy the holidays. <laughs> and- At the time, I wouldn't guess now, but it'd be... 
did you have any resentment for her making that statement? No, honestly, I don't, because I, what I realized is that I enjoyed the holidays. Oh, I yeah. let it go. I even sent a message out to all my friends and told them, like, oh, the doctor says I don't have cancer. I said, I'm going to live in that space. I'm not mm. going to worry about this. I'm just going to enjoy my life and just not be concerned because right now mm. they told me I don't have it. But I was scheduled to have it removed. I had my surgery to have it removed. And I do remember thinking, like, when it was over, I looked up at my husband when I woke up, and I was like, what did the doctor say? You know, because I'm thinking they, they probably went and saw it, knew it right away. He's like, oh, she didn't say anything. She says, you know, you gotta, you know, they're going to schedule an appointment. You're going to come back. Everything is, you know, everything is fine. They, took, they removed the lump, blah, 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 blah. I was like, they didn't say nothing. They didn't look at it. They didn't look funny. Or, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was like, no. And I was like, okay, fine. Angie, don't worry about it. They didn't find anything. And so, I mean, that was an easy surgery. A few days later, I'm up, back out, running, doing, doing what I do. And then doctor calls, and they want me to come in sooner for my post-op. Mm. And that's when I started thinking, like, oh, crap. And it's like, oh, well, maybe they're having, they're taking vacation and they want to get everybody in before the new year. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's what it is. Just telling myself anything. Sure. So this time I go back and she walks in the room. Same doctor? Same doctor. And this time she's kind of fumbling through the papers. And that's when I was like, like mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. Like, you ain't reading the papers already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're stalling. You were smiling last time and <laughs> now time you're filing. Now you're like. <laughs> and then she immediately was like, and I think her look was more like, I don't know how this is true, but <laughs> she didn't say well, she that. Probably, I mean, I'm guessing she probably knew, mm-hmm. even though it was a positive thing for you and that you were able to enjoy the holidays, she probably mm-hmm. thought, oh, no, it could be cancer. Hell, like, yeah. Or no, that last time I called it early and, right. and, and got the wrong thing. Right, exactly. So she probably felt embarrassed yeah, and bad. I'm sure she did, but she was great as usual because she was one of she. This was a doctor who was a little more passionate, whereas my other doctor's rule, matter of fact, right, right, right. should have been more bedside manner. <laughs> this lady was just like, "Okay, but Angie, this is the kind of cancer we treat. We treat this cancer all the time, and you know, mm. and you're going to be fine." And da 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 da. And I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say. Let me just get out of here so I can just soak this all in." But this time. I was pissed. Of course. Was finally. Mad. Angie's getting pissed. I'm mad. We're 10 years in and she's yes. finally getting pissed off. Because the craziest thing is I felt like, I mean, yeah, I've been through trials and tribulations and stress and this and that. But in general, I felt like my life was great. Yeah. I started exercising more. I started doing things that I wanted to do and things I used to be afraid of. Because now I'm like, I have cancer. Who the hell cares? I'm just going to get out of here. Yeah. And live my life. So I'm mad now. Because I'm like, is my life going to change now? Mm. Or do I have to stop doing these things? Right. <laughs> because now i got to go through cancer treatment. <laughs> I was so mad. I was just so unhappy. But I think at that time, that moment, I made a decision. Like, Angie, you're not going to stop doing anything unless you have to. Mm-hmm. Unless, unless you completely cannot get up and go and do things that you want to do. You're not going to stop. Wow. You know? And that's what I told myself. And I waited before telling my kids this go around because I wanted to completely know everything that I was up against. Because while I was sitting there talking about being mad and not wanting to stop, at this cancer, I was convinced I was dying. Really? <laughs> I was convinced. Why this time? What I was don't different? Know, because it just came so out of the blue. Right. I had had my mammogram maybe only, what, five or six months earlier, same situation. Mm-hmm. Everything was good. And it just came, and I'd been so stressed out at work, and I'd been losing a lot of weight, and you know, and mm-hmm. having stomach. I mean, I'm older, life is different, and I mean, I'm having stomach problems all the time. So I'm just thinking they're gonna do all these scans and stuff, 
And they're going to find out that I have just cancer riddled throughout my entire body. Mm. I what convinced, terrifying thought. I just convinced myself. And so I said, Angie, you can't tell your kids anything until you know. Mm. Until you absolutely know what you're up against. And at this point, we've, your kids are... Yes, much older. 24? Mm-hmm, 24. 16 and mm, something. <laughs> Whatever the middle child was. That's the middle, poor middle child. <laughs> yeah, oh, she, she, she owns that middle child status, too. She's like, I'm just the middle child. <laughs> Who is she again? <laughs> oh, I don't know. What's what? her name? <laughs> poor baby. Uh, not fair. Oh, my God. But I can relate. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I made the joke. <laughs> I can totally relate. I can tell you some stories. Oh, gosh. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, my kids were older, but I said, I, don't tell them until you know. Mm. And so I had to go through the new year and wait for all the scans. And then I, I even had, I started going to a gastroenterologist because all of a sudden I'm having the worst stomach problems ever. But I think it was all stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all just taking all that in. And, and yeah, so I, I absolutely waited until I knew for sure. And then all the tests started coming back. Okay, this is what we're dealing with, Angie. It's, mm. it's the one breast. It's only in the one place. You're good. Everything else looks good. And that's when I started to feel like, okay, I can do this. Mm. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so, I, And this time I told my kids myself because I felt like, Angie, grow up. Your kids are big now. They need to be able to mm-hmm. handle this. How but did they respond? They handled it well, but I also phrased things. And that's the thing about me is I will phrase it in a positive light. And How was, did you phrase that? Because then we might have people listening that are in mm-hmm. the exact same situation of, how, how do I tell my children? Yes. What words do I use? And, of course, the first mm-hmm. time around your kids were younger, so maybe the language had to be a bit different. different but yeah. what was it that you well, said? Well, this time around I was like, well... The cancer, I, I, you know, I basically, you know, I did say, I said my cancer is back, but it, they think they can take it. They're, they're going to be able to remove it, mm. is what I told them. I said, they feel like they can remove this, and that could, and that could very well be it. Mm-hmm. I, and I think at that moment, and I, I mean, I, I focused more on the surgery mm-hmm. and less on the cancer. Right. And I said, well, you know, this time I'm probably going to have a mastectomy, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I feel like that's what that's what I need to do this time. So I need to just have the mastectomy so I can be done with this. Right. And that was what I told my kids because that was the plan of action. And they handled it well. My middle daughter and my youngest, you know, they just kind of sucked it in and whatever issues they had I didn't know about. But my oldest... <laughs> As always, was the one who felt it really? the most. And what was her response? Did she have anger, or was it? She was sadness? sad. She was like, "Mommy, this is so unfair. You know, I don't understand. Why does this keep happening to you?" And mm-hmm. she, you know, to my face, she handled it, but I knew she wasn't handling it well mm-hmm. because she immediately, you know, wanted to call her boyfriend and she wanted to tell her friends, and mm-hmm. you know, because she she needed, yeah, she needed that support. She needed to. Mm-hmm. People forget that, you know, and we touched on it earlier about, you know, having to tell people and how other people mm-hmm. feel about it. But something like that, you know, is is a drop in the lake of your life and the ripples mm-hmm. are just unimaginable and, and who it impacts. And, right. and it's like everything in life, it, you know, everything, every action has a reaction. And, mm-hmm. you know, talking about, you know, behind closed doors, how must she have felt and, and just, right. you know, what each person who knew mm-hmm. and loved you, you know, felt right. just mm-hmm. something as horrific as cancer, you know, just what it does to a family, to a community, you right. know, to a person. So 
I just can't it imagine. Your heart, yeah. I and mean, I can imagine for what I've experienced, you know, mm-hmm. and thankfully, you know, my aunt was in full remission. She had a hysterectomy mm-hmm. and, and it went away and, and, you know, very, very thankfully it never came back. But I, I remember just that impact of, of seeing my mum upset mm-hmm. and, and my grandma and, it, you know, it's 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 crazy how deep it runs oh it is and that's and i feel like and i honestly think that's like the hardest part mm. i mean i mean yeah you having to know that you know there's a possibility that <laughs> this is something that's going to kill you or, or something i mean yeah that's tough that's not i mean i'm not i'm not you know brushing over that or sugarcoating that like yeah that was hard just hearing those words and knowing that but i think more than anything the toughest part you know because this is what you're living through is your, your your family your loved ones mm. you know having to deal with how how this is going to affect them mm. and I think and I, I did it both times I focused more on making light of it mm-hmm. making it sound like it wasn't you know it wasn't going to be a terrible thing mm-hmm. a terrible thing and just really talking about more of what we had to go through like oh I'm just going to have to go in and do this and probably just going to have the mastectomy and you know I'll probably be out of work for about four weeks I just focused on you mm-hmm. know those kind of things and and less about this shit could kill me mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about that right. uh, because I mean and I know it's that's harder for other people because there's some people who do receive news that is a death sentence mm-hmm. and I can only imagine what that's like because they already know what yeah. they're going to go through and I mean there's people that dealt with things so much worse and that's why I felt like I felt fortunate this was something that I could kind of brush over because the prognosis was good and it was a good chance that they could remove my breast and I would have been done. Right. I could have been finished at that point. So I felt blessed. And so I felt like, Angie, take the weight off of everybody because this doesn't have to be a terrible thing. Mm. This could be another thing that could propel you into to something else great, you know, and that's and that's kind of what I, what I focused on. Once I got past feeling like I was going to die mm-hmm. <laughs> convincing myself mm-hmm. that my body was riddled with cancer. Once I got past that, that's when I was like, Shh, girl, please stop. You know, yeah. do whatever, do whatever it is that you felt like you were going to do yesterday. Yes. <laughs> you know, this is still your life. You're still alive. You're still living. You know, just focus on that. And all these things are just a little, little hurdles wow. that you have to go over. So I, I, I feel, I do feel blessed mm-hmm. in that way because it could have been so much worse. It's fortunate that I found it when I did. Mm-hmm. And my doctor even commended me. She's like, you know, I'm so glad that you kind of came in in between mammograms because mm-hmm. a lot of people sometimes won't. They'll wait until the next one. They'll wait until the next one. Yeah. She's like, but you, I'm like, you're damn right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, having gone through this before, yeah. you know, I kind of knew what I was up against. So That's amazing. And oh. now, incredibly, we can say you are cancer-free. Yes, I'm it's cancer-free gone. again. And yeah. You're living this incredible life, and you're an amazing runner. How did yeah. you discover that and find out that you had a deep, deep love? Well, I, you know, I've always was physical, even when I was young. I was always one of those kids jumping around, flipping, doing whatever I could possibly do. <laughs> I was a cheerleader. I was always afraid of real competitive sports because mm-hmm. I never wanted to be the weakest link. <laughs> so I did what I felt like. I was the same. I just avoided it. <laughs> You know, I always chose those things that I felt like I can do and mm-hmm. kind of own my own space. And so running was just me more or less wanting to be fit, you know, wanting to still, you know, kind of maintain whatever I had before I started having kids. And so I, you know, and I have to admit, when I first started running, I hated it. 
actually I still do but (laughs) (laughs) I still really hate it but I hated it because I was like Angie you used to be able to run you used to be able to run you should be able to do it again so I struggled through that and but because I knew if I kept at it I eventually get to a place where I would feel okay about it. Were you doing long distance? No, short? I was just doing, you know, just as much, like, you know, two and three mile runs. And mm-hmm. even even before I had cancer, I would try, to, occasionally I would try to, like, run a mile or run around the block or, mm-hmm. or just do something. But after I had cancer, I started finding more people who were doing this running thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I had some friends. We would, yeah, we used to walk together and we'd run, like, a little mile together. And I saw that they were starting a run club. And I was like, well, that's what I need to do. And then, you know, looking back at the anxiety and stuff that I was having, I, I discovered that when I did exercise, I felt better. Do you know how many people have said that exercise impacts mental health in a positive oh way? Oh, my God. So many. I just it's had so a friend true. recently that went through something, you know, really heavy, mm-hmm. and he started working out. Never had done it before, mm-hmm. you know, and really became just a gym, mm-hmm. you know, rat I hate that phrase, but that's really what yeah. it became. It was just that right. every day, two hours, mm-hmm. you know. And he said that, okay, yeah, he lost weight and turned up and, and it had a great physical impact, but the impact that it had on his mind yes. and his anxiety and everything was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's true. I mean, it's the endorphins. And mm. I think I think some of us more than others need it. And I think I, in general, am a fairly naturally kind of muscular person like mm-hmm. it's, it's in my genes it's you know mm-hmm. it's um it's in my family and i think i feel like because of that i'm supposed to be physical right like it's it's like you feel off if you're not right when i'm not and so i i think that the running kind of reintroduced me to that and oh, then sorry everyone it's <laughs> waxed the microphone <laughs> and the good thing about it is it started to feel comfortable it started to feel better it started to feel like like oh you can do this mm. and then like little by little I just started to, yeah, to take on more, more mileage, you know, started off with a few miles here and there. Wow. And then, um, you know, then lately I've been doing weight training and um, taking dance classes. Um. I know. Damn it. Didn't you do like a local, uh, in Britain we call it Strictly Come Dancing, but what? Oh, like Dancing like, with the Stars. Yes. Yeah. Didn't you do that something was so like much that? Fun. That was That's like awesome. incredible. I saw the video of that. That's <laughs> so cool. You know, it's, dancing is something that I, I've always loved. Ever since I was a child, I wanted to be a dancer. I wanted to be a dancer and I wanted to be a gymnast. Wow. <laughs> Those are two things I wanted, but I never was All able to. All the things to... I didn't want to be. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, not doing that. But no, I love being physical and moving and I love music. And so even, I was, I even was uh, trying to be a, what do you call it, a video backup dancer when mm-hmm. I was in college. So, I mean, it's something that I've always, I've always loved. And so people had started to recognize that in me because now that I'm, been through cancer my kids are getting big i'm always out dancing mm. <laughs> i'm always going place anytime we have a race afterwards i'm dancing it's just me it's just who i am yeah. and i'm just i'm doing the things that make me happy yes. and dancing makes me happy and so one of my friends re- recruited me for that They're like oh god angie would be perfect for this and so of course when she asked me i was like oh my god i would love to do that do you feel like post-cancer you say yes to things yes <laughs> Yes, two things, and yes to more things that you wouldn't have done before. Yeah, because before I would sit around feeling guilty about it, like, oh, you can't do that. It's going to cost money, or, you know, it's going to take take you away from the kids, mm-hmm. and, you know, what's your husband going to think? But now I just feel like if it's something that's good and it's mm-hmm. beneficial... Brings you joy. And it brings me joy. I think so <laughs> and it's many, not hurting anybody. So many people think, <laughs> and I've met many of them, you know, 
okay, well, if I'm going to spend my time on it, it's got to make money or it's mm-hmm. got to be beneficial for something else. How about the revelation that you do it just because it makes you happy? Yeah. Like, why Mm -hmm. can't that be enough? And it's a positive thing. Yeah. You know? We've got this, we've got this one life Mm -hmm. and yeah, okay, we're adults and you've got to be responsible and everybody's got things that they've got to take care of. Mm -hmm. Sure. I'm not saying, you know, leave everything to the wind and good luck to you all. I'm (laughs) off. You know, I don't think that's fair. Some people do that. Yes. (laughs) I know, but 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 why not say yeah. yes to the things that you can say yes to, mm-hmm. you know, and not letting fear get in the way. There's right. so many people yes. live in fear, and things like anxiety and depression mm-hmm. are so rampant that they take right. over that ability to go. You know what? I think I might really enjoy that. I'm gonna I'm yes. gonna do it. You know. So how incredible that you. you oh my have. god! And it, yeah, and so many of the things I'm doing it does make me happy, and it has helped that anxiety because mm. you know anxiety turns into depression and, yeah. you know, and I do feel like even before it's that I cancel, cycle isn't it yes because you start thinking about it and you get anxious about the next time you're going to be anxious right <laughs> yes and as a matter of fact when I first went to a therapist and she told me um well she didn't exactly identify the anxiety per se but she said that I was depressed mm. and when she told me I was depressed I became even more depressed <laughs> And I felt like I had no control. Yeah. I started spiraling I was depressed about this. Now I'm depressed about no, my depression. Really yeah. Depressed. <laughs> it's like you start to lose. I mean, the mind yeah. is, in a, it's an amazing thing. Mm. And so that's why I love that I've been able to find something that actually does help me with that. Wow. Because even for years, when I did first start running, I, you know, was basically able to handle the anxiety on a daily basis. But sometimes it would still come out at, mm-hmm. at night. And I would still wake up in these panic sweats. And, and you know, so even though I was running and I was doing things, um, I still, I felt like I really still didn't have a handle on it. But I will say in the last, how many years? Four years, because I had cancer three years ago. Yeah, about, maybe about four years ago. I've actually gotten to a place where I very rarely have an anxiety attack or That's a panic amazing. attack. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I know how debilitating those are. I mm-hmm. I always struggled with anxiety when I was younger. Mm-hmm. It was undiagnosed and I didn't didn't realise it. And I remember um, you know, whatever it was that I was fretting about as a mm-hmm. child. Um my my mother and father <coughs> both used to say, You always have these phantom illnesses, you know, mm. like you know, why do you always say your stomach hurts when we're about to do whatever mm-hmm. you know or you have a headache or what mm-hmm. and of course now we know that anxiety, anxiety. manifests yes. physically and it mm-hmm. does come out in those things so no one ever said to me Jess you've got mm-hmm. anxiety you're having a panic attack mm-hmm. so I was just on edge all the time growing up and wow. you know um, I moved to LA um, in 2016 mm-hmm. and I moved in with two of my friends and I remember several times you know, to the point, and thank God, you know, we were all close and they were really good friends of mine. Like, I was like, you have to sleep in the bed with me. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they were like my brother and sister right, at the time. And I was yeah. like, I can, I'm going, to, I cannot cope. Like, they, yeah. they, you know, if anyone hasn't had a panic attack, yeah. it's hard to understand. But right. for those who have, everyone who's had a panic attack, they always go, oh, I feel you. Like, I know. Yes. It's that <laughs> feeling of like, oh, Just my God. And you know what's funny is I recognize it in my kids. Yeah. And because I've been through it, when they're, when it's, when they're, when they're going through it, mm. I'm able to help them deal with it. I'm and like, what a gift to have someone yes. who will sit with you, you know, because mm-hmm. who, who those two friends that were, were willing to sit with me, you know, they were my godsend, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. 
And that's sometimes that's all you need just mm-hmm. to kind of get through it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they didn't say anything. They mm-hmm. just were physically. They were there. just there. Because I think mm-hmm. mine was, you know, that was such a uh, jarring experience. Um, you know, it was just not being alone that was mm-hmm. the comfort. Mm, right. Yeah. Knowing that you, yeah. Yeah, and it's weird because each time when it's happened to my kids, it's just caught them out of the blue. Mm. You know, they just, and you know, and there's some things that we can sometimes pinpoint. Like my youngest used to eat a lot of sugar, and, mm-hmm. and I think that started. <laughs> yeah. But I usually come up with ways to help them cope. Like I used to always, I always keep a bottle of um, lavender oil, yeah. you know, things like that. I'm always just trying to think of natural things. things. Yeah, natural things that we can do. You know to kind of help them get through, and I and I do keep um, my my doctor always messes with me about this. I always keep a prescription of Xanax. Mm-hmm. Just I've to never have. for all the panic attacks I've had, I've never had Xanax, and I didn't either. And I remember the first doctor tried to give it to me, and I was like, "Oh, it's some kind of narcotic. I don't want to take that." That's exactly my fear. Mm-hmm. I don't like narcotics. narcotics. Yeah, I've had a couple of surgeries where I had to have either you know codeine mm-hmm. or Vicodin, and I just was like uh no thank you yeah you know it's, didn't yeah. didn't like I, it. yeah i'm the same way but i i literally just keep it for the what if like i refill it i give you 20 pills i refill it maybe three times a year really so i don't even really i won't even say sometimes i end up giving them <laughs> angie revealing secrets no. on let's be honest only because they need tune in it. next week to find out what because I'm like, okay, girl, you need it. All right, but, you're doing the Lord's work. Yes, you're I'm just helping out them out. <laughs> but no, I you mean, should take them on airplanes, and if you find and actually, well, no, I don't give them. <laughs> but I do. That is that was one of the times when I would take it. Is when I get on an yeah. airplane, just so that I wouldn't. How so do I you can, feel when you take it? Do you just feel chill, or do you it feel me high? Out. Or it, what do you, no, I don't feel high. It just chills me out, and, and norm, normally I just fall asleep. Really, <laughs> that's what they do for me. But I only use them when I feel. I'm not having any real anxiety attacks, yeah. but when I'm feeling overly anxious about something, mm-hmm. sometimes it's because I know I got to get up and run a marathon in the morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> and just that idea, yeah. it's difficult to fall asleep. Right. You know, you can't relax because you're like, Am do, I I, wake do up? you know what I would do? I would just go not doing the marathon. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want to do it. Even yeah. though it's pure torture. <laughs> I really want to do it. Man. And I want to actually get some sleep and I want to wake up on time. Yeah. So all of that will have me freaking out. And I'll and I sometimes I only only take like a half of one just so I can relax and not worry about not being able to wake up in the morning or something yeah. like that. But I yeah, I only started just getting that prescription just for the what if, mm. if I did have sure. a full-blown panic attack. And and I actually haven't had one in a really long time. That's great news. So, yeah, but, so getting on the airplane, <laughs> waking up for races in the Before morning. I go skydiving, <laughs> before I dive with sharks. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> All the usual stuff that things. Angie does. Because I think I, what did I do the other day? Oh, I did a triathlon the other day. and I was like, You say that so <laughs> casually. Like, you just, oh, what did I do? What, Wednesday, what, what was that? that? What oh, yeah, that? the triathlon. But I have to say that whole idea of swimming in open water, that was a full-blown panic attack in the Uh, making. Yeah. (laughs) Which coast were you on? Oh, it was a really, really small triathlon. We were at the Sweetwater Creek Lake. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it wasn't even that big of a deal. But it was scary. Sure. It was scary. So I still do have my moments when things scare me. Mm -hmm. But I think I told my daughter this because sometimes she, she has big fears about singing and and different things getting out in front of crowds and stuff Mm -hmm. and i told her i said you know 
I do handle my fears differently from you because I feel like sometimes for her it becomes debilitating. Mm. And I, I feel me, that. I feel that. And you know, and I try to relate, and it's hard for me to relate because I always say when I'm really afraid to do something that I know I can do. I just force myself to do it right. <laughs> because I always there's know a, once I get out there. Yes, there's a there's fine. a couple of quotes of, based on that that I really mm-hmm. love. One I can't remember who said it, but um, I'm just going to say I made it up. I'm going to yeah, claim it. Go. <laughs> uh, it's feel the fear, mm-hmm. but do it anyway. Do it anyway. So exactly. recognize it. Let yes. it have a place. Let yes. it sit there, but don't do, let it don't not let do. It you know, you. not stop you from doing it. And then um, mm-hmm. another one that I loved. I believe I heard it from Will Smith. Mm-hmm. It was when he was getting ready to do that insane bungee jump from a helicopter over the mm-hmm. Grand Canyon for his 50th birthday and he said everything you want is on the other side of fear mm-hmm. it's literally just a matter of stepping through it and it's right. so powerful when you think about that image mm-hmm. yeah know? no exactly <laughs> there's so many things that are going to scare you yeah. but you know I mean yeah you just I mean you have to put you just have to put yourself out there and wow. just do it and try it, even if you are afraid. And I, and I always, you know, take it back to, you know, cancer having to go through, mm-hmm. you know, the chemo, the surgery. I mean, that alone could kill you, mm-hmm. you know. But I felt like it was worth it, you know, to yeah. to do it, to try it, to see, yeah, to see where I would end up. Because you know, we never know when we're going to be taken, you know, when, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. You are a true testimony to you've got to live each day yeah. as if it's if it's, if it's, if it's your, your last, your last yes. and you've got mm-hmm. to do things that make you happy and right. um, you know just living in the moment. Mm-hmm. What do you feel has been the biggest lesson for you throughout your journey so far? Oh gosh, the biggest lesson, yeah, was well, just what we just talked about. You know, don't let fear, yeah, don't let fear stop you. Mm. You know, because I mean. Yeah, because there's so many things that yeah that you're capable of, and because a lot of times you don't know you're capable of something until you do you're it. You're stronger so. than you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're stronger than you know. Because I do think having to go through chemo, cancer, surgery, all of that, it just it just puts you in a different mindset because you feel like you know I can't go through that. That's going to be horrible mm. and da 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 da. But having to do it and coming out on the other side, you know, lets you see. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I, I tell this story a lot, and this person who I said it to, hopefully she'll never hear because <laughs> I always use her in these stories, but I remember doing the breast cancer walk right after my first diagnosis. And, you know, I was still going through radiation. and um, But, you know, doing the breast cancer walk is pretty tough. you got to be outside all day. You walk 20 miles. They put you in a tent. You got to get up in the morning, no matter how terrible the weather is. You get up and you walk again. And she was just like, the last day it was pouring down raining, and we had to get out and walk. And she was just like, oh my God, this is horrible. She's like, I can't believe we've got to get out here and walk in this horrible weather. We got to be out here all day. And I stopped and I looked at her and I was like, girl, but you know what? This is a whole lot better than getting chemo. (laughs) She was Uh like, you know what, Angie? Reality show. Right. Let's go. Yeah. And even I let me just stop you there. <laughs> and I wasn't even saying it to be mean or anything. No, you you were literally getting a reality that. check. Right. You're like, let me tell you what's yes. not a better alternative. You know exactly. Yeah, because wow. I felt like you know what I I think I can do this because I sure in the hell don't want to be doing that. Yeah. And I was thinking about all the other people that were out here walking for and yeah, wow. yeah. So it gives you some perspective. Yeah. You know. What advice would you give to anybody and, and anybody that might be listening to this that is either going through cancer themselves mm-hmm. or 
know somebody that is what would what would you tell them is is the most valuable thing in, in this moment for them right now just to live your life intentionally you know I mean even for the person that's helping somebody going through cancer no matter what you're going through each moment each day you have is still yours mm. you know so you can't spend that time just dwelling on the negative you know you could you could spend that time doing something I mean if you're able doing something positive you know thinking about the things that you love or or yeah something simple as going for a walk on the beach or like me going for a 26 mile run <laughs> or or whatever it is you know just know that you can't you can't allow it to take all these moments away from you because I, what I see sometimes is folks when and I, I did this my first diagnosis when you're hit with that you're like oh I can't do this I can't do that I've got to not I got to slow down I've got to be overly cautious and if the doctors have not told you that you had to do that, just get out and do. Live your life, you know, because it's yours. Mm. And I think that is a beautiful way to end this podcast is that final sentence you just said, you've got to live your life because mm. it's yours. And mm -hmm. I think if anybody is a testimony to that phrase, it's you. You're amazing. Thank you well, thank so you. much. This was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you.